Jeremy, how do you feel about horses again? How do I feel about horses? Yeah. I don't like them. Do you, do you not remember this? I have a video of you going, fuck horses, fuck horses. <laughs> when you all came down to No, I remember that. That tracks. I mean, I strongly dislike horses. <laughs> They're mean. Is that from an experience? Oh, is, is that from a particular experience or? Yeah, my mom lifetime? had two horses when I was growing up, and they're f- mean and gross and <laughs> just shitty creatures. <laughs> they they appear so regal and majestic from afar. Yeah, sure. Allegedly, it's all shit up close though. <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, sole resident of the Bunk Bed Pizza Hut Pocket Dimension. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's uh, that's from our D&D game. Oh, you have tickled our guests greatly. <laughs> this mysterious laughing guest. An unfamiliar laugh. I'm about to untickle our guest here. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Ruggles, once again president of the Rudiger Anti-Fan and Band Chelsea for Three More Years Club. Yeah, that stopped his laughing. <laughs> Shut him up real quick. Can't be on A's, brother. I am Peter Cook, author of the new tell-all memoir, Cut the Bulls hit, My Day Glow Life in Carolina. Wow. That was a quality. That was quality. <laughs> Inspired. My name is uh, Jake Mark Chelly Watkins, the uh, vice gravedigger of uh, Sneedville, Tennessee. Hmm. Well, we're just, we're just so happy to have you. It's a here, pleasure. Jake. I... I don't know any of you, and I just, I'm a fan of the podcast, and it's really cool to meet my heroes. <laughs> I was just going to say, do you want to tell the people about yourself and how you know us? <laughs> but uh, if you would like to <laughs> fabricate this air of mystery, we can go that way too. That's fine with me. One time I moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan to uh, get a master's degree, and uh, a friend of mine, Bob Bucko Jr., told me to go to Satellite Records. And former guest of the show, Bob Bucko Jr. Yeah, that's right. And um, he told me to ask for Sean Hartman, and I did. And Sean came out and said, what's your name? And I said, my name's Jake. And he went, cool. Do you want to be in a band? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, all right, I'll see you later. And that's how I uh, met Sean, which is how I met uh, also Peter and uh, Jeremy. Jeremy, yeah. uh, who I've met, have had various uh, interfaces with and Peter who um, used to be my pretend boss and I gave him nothing but hell <laughs> and also record reviews yes oh what a what fond memories of uh, being your <laughs> pretend boss I also Jake I have to say uh, one of my all-time favorite things 
related to you and in, in just in my life, but related to you is, um, was it your niece who determined that I was a baby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was, uh, I was visiting my parents and I had Facebook open and my niece came downstairs and for some reason, I guess I had maybe clicked on your Facebook profile and my niece just went, that's a baby. And I was like, nope, that's Peter. Peter's, uh, how old are you now, Peter? <laughs> 40. 40. Oh, I think at the time you were like 36. <laughs> that's, like, that tracks, yeah. <laughs> like, um, no, Aubrey, that's not a baby. That's a 36-year-old person named Peter. And she was like, no, that's a baby. And I was yeah. like, all right. <laughs> what, whatever you say, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think about that like daily. Uh, <laughs> Peter Cook, Kalamazoo's favorite baby. <laughs> baby of the year. <laughs> for, for 40, baby of the year 40 for 40 running. years yeah. running. <laughs> well, I love you, Peter. My goodness. Love you too, Jake. It's great to have you here. Do you guys want to talk about a record? And This banter is wonderful, but... We got to talk about a record for the people. So you all told me to listen to uh, Hall and Oates, but I got really confused and I accidentally listened to Simon and Garfunkel. Um, so this is going to be—I'm going to wing it a little bit, but we'll we'll do our best. <laughs> which which Simon and Garfunkel do you listen I, to? All though? of it. All, all of it. it. <laughs> you thought it was just one long retrospective of the Simon. I have and lots of things catalog. to say about Simon and Garfunkel. Nothing to say about Hall and Oates. <laughs> I accidentally listened to the comedy duo Garfunkel and Oates in preparation for this. Well, this is going to be a real, uh, real interesting episode. Um, Jeremy, did you do your research? Where are you at? I listened to Daryl Hall and John Oates and have learned enough to know that they don't like being called Hall and Oates. Thank you. Whoa. I did notice that they're listed as they sure are. Daryl Hall. Or they're listed that way on online yeah and on all their albums they don't say hollow notes on the albums you reckon they're gonna listen to this though yeah you'd be surprised right, well. we've had a <laughs> handful we'll of artists uh listen to our episodes would you like to name drop them jeremy didn't uh melba moore uh hit us with a like the other day maybe it, it was me. Uh, Melba Moore's official Instagram account commented on one of our posts about our Melba Moore playlist. So we have fucking arrived, yeah. boys. <laughs> there's there's nowhere to go from here. This is like the top of the pile. We are basically the Joe Rogan experience right now. <laughs> oh, no. This is hell world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, minus all of the problematic bullshit, we hope. Um, so uh, the thing is, uh, Sean, when it comes to uh, privatized by... Uh, Hollow notes. Uh, it's all. It was made by the globalist, and uh... <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> it might have been, but the globalists really knocked it out of the park on this. They one. did. <laughs> they did. They real. They really did craft just a perfect '80s pop record. We're gonna listen to. If if people haven't figured it out by now, we are gonna listen to Daryl Hall and John Oates' classic 1981 album, Private Eyes. This is their 10th album, and just so people know, they are the most successful duo in U.S. music history, which means they outsold Simon and Garfunkel, The Carpenters, and Outkast. Hot damn. So just think about that. While we listen to one of their biggest hits and possibly the greatest song ever written, I can't go for that. No can do. No can do. 
I am reminded of my 11 years that I spent working at Lowe's when I hear that song because <laughs> they played that on the overhead speakers and friend of the show, former roommate of multiple people on this current episode, Dan Gast, also worked at Lowe's before I did. And he had this habit of sending me Lowe's song of the day through email many, many years ago. <laughs> I'm sure that was one of them. Uh, he, I think he made Lowe's mixes. Uh, you know, once he was done at Lowe's, I, I think he looked back fondly on his time there, and that music was the soundtrack. But that was a that song was a staple of working there for years. I can't think of a better song to hear while at Lowe's than that I, song. Personally, I can't think of a better song to think of Dan Gast too than that. <laughs> I, I also genuinely love this song because, like. I don't know. I feel like there's something almost like not macho about it. It's like, you know, cause like that, that's what really sort of is all in, is frequently like, you know, brought up in a lot of 80 songs is just like hyper masculinity or like macho, whatever. And having Daryl Hall just be like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to do that. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I do a lot of things. I do anything for you, but I'm not going to go for that. And I, th- I think that's a very vulnerable, and I mean this genuinely. Like I think that's a very vulnerable and like sort of honest thing to say. I think their lack of toxic masculinity is one of the best things about this band, and also possibly one of the reasons why they're continually snubbed by rock critics because they just don't fall in to those stereotypes that some people are looking for in that way. Also, that might be the reason they've kind of resurged in recent years. They're not very problematic. Outside of Private Eyes being sort of a weird song that perhaps has deeper context, uh, you know, they're not very problematic outside of that. And one of their main co-writers was a woman, right, Sarah Allen? Yes. And her sister. I believe there's two different women that are, yeah, they're, they're sisters. They get a lot of songwriting credits on this album, especially. Yeah, that could be a part of it. Yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, just like having watched some different live footage from this band and their videos and album covers, like they were not afraid of appearing very glamorous and oftentimes feminine in their music and their image. And yeah, it's great. And I I do agree. I think that is also part, partly why they've gotten such a resurgence in, uh, you know, more modern youth culture. I'm sure they'll be canceled at some point. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for the moment, things are going pretty well. But also, like, a great, I mean, more so than Private Eyes as a single, like, just, I mean, you know, top five, for me at least, like, best Hollow Note singles. I mean, fantastic. Great groove. Like, the whole, like, I mean, like, even coming into the song, like, that, the vibe is just very on point which great which song are we talking about i can't go for that okay i thought you said private eyes no as opposed to private eyes oh as opposed okay gotcha yeah absolutely yeah there's uh something that's just it's kind of magical about i can't go for that yeah and i think that in many ways like that sort of is and maybe we can get into this more later but like is all encompassing about this record is like a lot of like 
you know, the intros into the song or like the, the pre verses are like very magical and just immediately draws you in. Yeah, absolutely. Sets the scene and extremely sampled in the case of that song. Yeah. Yes. One of the most sampled songs in hip hop ever, which if you think about the context of it, that came out in 1981, which, you know, is just a couple years after the very beginnings of hip hop culture in New York and drum machines are not as easily accessible at that point. In fact, like the, the drum machine sound you're hearing on there is from a compu rhythm, which was kind of like a precursor to a drum machine. It's, so, it's not even 808. Yeah, exactly. So this is like drum machine sounds like that are not even a thing you could hear on a ton of records at that point. So for a band this big to have a big hit with just like the most perfect rhythm track to sample, it's like it's the right tempo. It's so dope. It's got atmosphere to it. And yeah, it was just the perfect time to be sampled endlessly. Uh, a short list of notable people who have sampled that MF Doom, De La Soul, Two Chains, Two Live Crew, and Public Enemy. Wow. wow, what uh, what track did uh did Doom sample that on? It, I'm sorry if you don't know that off the top of your head. He sampled it on like several different yeah. tracks. I didn't write down the specific ones, but there's a one of the songs on King Ghidra samples that. He mainly just uses the rhythm, and it's like not the kind of thing you would immediately yeah. notice. Like he chops it up real hard. R.I.P. M.F. Doom. Rest in rest in peace to the to For the sure. go. As we said, this band is kind of has a reputation for not being taken seriously by rock critics, but they also have a reputation for having a really strong following in parts of the black community. And I think this record and specifically the song, I can't go for that is a big reason of why that happens Um, because you have the hip hop side of it, but then also they're one of the only white bands to have a song that was topping the pop and the R and B charts at the same time which this song did for them. And they're also one of the only white bands to be invited to perform on Soul Train. Really? Mm. Yes. And in fact, when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014, the person who did the induction for them was none other than fellow Philadelphia resident Questlove. (laughs) (sighs) Don't make me talk about Philadelphia on this podcast. (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about Philadelphia. We're not going to talk about Philadelphia. I, I know I yeah, this is one of the Philly bands. I know bands. it's one of the Philly bands. I just you know how I feel about Philadelphia. <laughs> You're just jealous of everyone that lives here? That's what I heard. No. no. <clears throat> Sean, I'm sure you've had this experience when if you get like a a collection of records that are primarily soul and jazz, it's not uncommon to find Hollow Notes records in those collections. Mm-hmm. Well, not uncommon to find Hall and Oates, also not uncommon to find uh, Michael Frank's records. And, and like, you know, 81 was such a weird time because you sort of have like the the end of what, I mean, maybe like some old heads would call like, you know, really good classic rock. And, you know, hair metal is starting to come up. But you also have like, you know, some of your previous like, you know, 60s and 70s bands still making music. And I mean... It just wasn't like hollow notes were not hard. They weren't like they were glam in a different way, you know, like without the hairspray and without like, I don't know, objectively like what I think we would now see is like toxic traits. (laughs) They were just sort of like doing their thing. 
Well, and they also had a much more well-rounded set of influences than a lot of other rock bands of the time. In fact, the song Looking for a Good Sign on here, which we'll have on the playlist, but we're not going to play on this episode, they basically wrote and recorded that as a tribute to the band The Temptations. Oh, yeah, it sounds just like them. Yeah, and when you listen to that song in that context, there's so many things about it that are reminiscent of the Motown sound, and it's really wonderful to like hear them give that the 1981 spin. And then they actually did some work with The Temptations just a few years later in 85 and had a, a single from a live record they did with them. And I don't know to what extent, like, you know, other artists would call this record, I don't know, inspirational, but I, I think in many ways, like, the sound on this record is, like, sort of predates and maybe informs would be the right word, like, what comes out around, like, 85, 86, especially with, like, the police and, uh, you know, like, some of the other, like, you know, like, almost sort of tiptoeing between new wave and pop sound. I had to remind myself several times listening to this that this is 81 and not like 85 or 86. Totally. Uh, I think a good comparison for another like new wave-ish band that had a lot of funk and soul influences is the Talking Heads. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of being influential, one artist that this song in particular was very influential to was Michael Jackson who had stated that this song, I Can't Go For That, was a huge influence on him recording the song Billie Jean. Yeah, I I kind of, I hear that for sure. For sure. So Daryl Hall claims that while him and Michael were both at the recording session for the song We Are The World, Michael Jackson apologized to him for copying the groove off that song, and Daryl Hall told him that he did a good job of stealing it because he hadn't even noticed. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the best way to, to do that. So we're going to get back into another song in just a second here, but I just want to say that I Can't Go For That is going to be the only hit that we play off of this record tonight, because one of the things that I feel strongly about in regards to this album is that this is not simply just a, a mid-period album with a few big hits on it. In fact, this is what I would consider a near-perfect pop record, where the deep cuts are just as good as the hits. And I think the band was pretty much at their creative peak on this record. And it's probably the best one to start with if you're a new Holland O's fan. So no, no private eyes for you listeners. I don't know how you're going to hear it if we don't play it. (laughs) I wouldn't skip private eyes necessarily, but like if you wanted to start without private eyes, I think you could. You know, when I, yeah, you could. when I bought uh, the Violent Femmes first album, I skipped Blister in the Sun and went to the second <laughs> track. I, I wanted to be the only person in history to ever do that. <laughs> and you are, Peter. You certainly are. Yep. No one else has done that. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Way to go, bud. <laughs> All right. So first deep cut we're going to play is one of my favorite tracks on this record and one of only two tracks on this record featuring lead vocals from John Oates, Mano Amano. Just 
Here's my beef with this song. It's a great song. The chorus, absolutely fantastic. But I do also feel like, I don't know, I'm shocked that this wasn't like Joe Biden's election song. Yeah, that's all the proof I needed that the globalists made this album. Now see a lot of people fighting for the left or the right. Fighting people see black or white. That's like a. It's like it, it's like John Lennon's Imagine. It's like, come on, man. You know. <laughs> Otherwise, perfect song. That's my only beef. It's. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's John Oates being a. Uh, uh, you know, hey man, why can't we all come together? This is eighty one, man. This is Reagan era. Like, we yeah. party. We Just... we become something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is yeah right at the beginning of that. They didn't even know what they were getting into. (laughs) (laughs) Listen here, Jack. I see a lot of people fighting for the left or the right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just a bunch of malarkey. Can't have that. (laughs) I see a bunch of people fighting and I just can't go for that. (laughs) You monster. (laughs) (laughs) Musically, though. Aside from that cringy line there, musically, it's so good. And it also kind of reminds me, speaking of early influences, it reminds me a little bit of like Buddy Holly kind of rockabilly, but not super cheesy rockabilly. Yeah, yeah it's, I kept getting callback vibes to the Huey Lewis record we did, Sports, where there was this sort of subtle shifting through genres from song to song. And... But very well done. And yeah, that one rode that line, but didn't cross over into cheeseball territory for me, at least. Yeah. The only difference between Huey Lewis and the News and Daryl Hall and John Oates is that Daryl Hall and John Oates are here for a good time and a long time. <laughs> oh. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> because they had a long career. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. When did their last record come out? 2006. Yeah, I, I, I had looked that up. I don't know. It was, it, they put out a handful of different uh, Christmas singles, too. And Daryl Hall's been doing a lot of solo stuff. Well, you know, I, one of my... I mean, I obviously like knew about Hall & Oates before this. But like in the early... Either the late aughts or the early 2010s, like my first real like fully appreciating Daryl Hall was um seeing uh, what was that uh he had like a show where he would like <laughs> Daryl's house Daryl's house yeah and he had chromio whose house <laughs> Daryl's house uh <laughs> he had chromio on there and listening to like at the time I was like oh you know that's that uh you know make my dreams come true guy and uh now chromio is playing with him and that's pretty cool I guess but listening to this album in preparation I was just like Oh, this actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about some other things, uh, so like, especially like scent sounds a little bit later, but um, really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a far-reaching influence, for sure. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the context of where Hall & Oates were in their career when this record came out. This is one of those bands that they're just so big, everyone has probably heard at least a little bit about them, knows a few stories, maybe watched their uh, VH1 Behind the Music episode, who knows. But uh, the interesting thing with Hall & Oates is 
their most successful period arguably was right around this time and shortly after in the 80s but they were a band that had started actually in the late 60s daryl and john got together in i think 67 and started writing songs here and there and their first record came out in 72 during it and then their first was it like it was like during a gunfight like at a show wasn't it oh i didn't read about yeah. that uh, apparently apparently there was like i don't know I, I, this is probably speculatory but at, at maybe most but apparently like they were at a show and like a gun uh, in different bands and like a gunfight broke out or something and they were like whoa this is really bad hey man you seem like a cool guy do you want to be in a band together yeah the thing <laughs> very similar to how you and Perfect. i met sean yeah basically the basically same thing. the same thing the thing i had read is that <laughs> they were both the front men of their own bands and while fleeing this uh, gunfight that broke out, they ended up in the same elevator. And that's when they yeah. started talking to each other and just became buddies and roommates and uh, just blossomed from there. Beautiful. I would also, I, I feel it's pertinent to note that uh, John Oates, now a resident of Tennessee. Interesting. Uh, the worst part of Tennessee being Nashville. Ooh. And anyone who's listening... I will double down on this. It's a terrible place. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless. Thank you, guests, for isolating all our Joe Rogan fans and all our fans in Nashville. We appreciate you here. <laughs> yeah, what's left for us? Look, if you share a city with Ben Shapiro, I don't care. <laughs> Bold statement, sir. Can we talk about Daryl Hall and John Oates a little bit more, though? Fine. I was just talking about John Oates. <laughs> Living That's in true. Nashville. <laughs> yeah, the Nashville soapbox must be stepped down from. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so context. Hall and Oates' first number one single was the classic song Rich Girl, which came out in 1976. And then they followed that with four albums in a row that didn't have a single top 10 hit on them. And pretty much everyone assumed that Hall and Oates was just another basically washed up 70s band that was going to fade away in the 80s as so many of their peers did and they put out a record in 1980 called voices which the first single they put out did okay and then they had like a surprisingly good charting cover of the righteous brothers song you lost that love and feeling climbed all the way to number 12 on the pop charts and because of that unexpected success they were able to release a third single which came out in early 1981 and ended up being the song Kiss on My List, which then became their second number one hit song. And as we mentioned before, they were just starting to get ready to record this record and basically decided that they wanted to capitalize on that success by making a record that further explored the sounds that you hear on that song. And when you go back and listen to it, you can kind of hear how they took some of the elements to make songs like I Can't Go For That. And then they took some other elements in there to have more guitar-driven songs like Mano A Mano and other ones on this record. And it's kind of, an, I think it's an interesting angle to take that limited scope and then see like how much you can create with it in a full album format. And it, it worked out perfectly for them. Uh, it's, it's funny because that Kiss On My List song was the first song that I really knew was Hollow Notes and I never really liked it that much. And then my next real experience was this full album I picked up like at the library when I used to get CDs from there and I just loved it front to back. I was like, 
they took that formula and, and somehow made it better for my personal taste with this album. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I think especially with like mono a mono, it's like you can almost hear. I I don't I don't mean this in a negative way, like a formulaic, like you know, your kiss, your kiss is on my lips, mono a mono, almost like that very classic hollow notes, like almost like stuttering chorus that like breaks down syllables really well. Mm-hmm. And I love that. <laughs> yeah, they do that a lot. Come to think of it, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's always good. It's always so good. You're a making so my catchy. dreams come true. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know something that's really interesting to me about that song actually is that song is also on the album Voices. But when it came out, it was kind of a minor fourth hit on that album. It didn't even hit number one. It got to like number five or number four. So it was like a decent hit for them. But since then, it's kind of grown into their most popular song. If you look on Spotify, um, <laughs> Kiss on My List, you know, the only number one hit from that album has something like 46 million plays. And then You Make My Dreams Come True is sitting at about 558 million plays I, right I, now. I saw that and I was like, I didn't even, I, I knew it when I heard it, but I had no idea that it was that astronomically bigger than the rest of their songs. Yeah, it's like a, it's like their cult classic song. It's kind of amazing how much of... If by cult classic, you mean like is required to be played at every wedding. Yeah, but it's interesting <laughs> that it hit that status without being a number one hit initially, though. That's what I'm saying. And, and furthermore... Going back to how wholesome Hole and Oats is, your kiss is on my list. Very wholesome thing to say to somebody. <laughs> yeah, you make my dreams you come true. You make my dreams Aww. come true. Thanks, bud. Maybe. Thanks, Daryl. We don't have to talk about private eyes. It's fine. <laughs> the one thing that's also interesting to me about this record is that it really feels like it still has a very fresh and exciting sound to it. I feel like listening to this record, you can just tell that they're having a lot of fun creating these songs, which is also interesting then when you think about how much pressure was actually on them at this point. They have to prove, are they going to be an 80s band or are they a 70s band that just had like one more surprise hit before they went out? Like, do they have the staying power to keep that going? And they made it work with this record. I think the fun aspect of this record that like really struck me is, I mean, not every record has like a, you know, an active live drummer, uh, not every song rather has an active live drummer in it, but like I can just almost imagine some of these drummers and there's quite a list on, on the, this record, but like I can almost imagine them just like starting to lay down that track with like the bass groove and like smiling. And when you see a drummer smile, like that is, that that means you got a good record on your hands. And yeah, it just like every aspect of this record is very fun. When Questlove was inducting them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he was quoted as saying that Holland Oats will cure any known ailment. And he's <laughs> correct. Yeah. Including COVID nineteen, I would have to assume. The C D C actually said that. Yeah. <laughs> said you can take the Take the vaccine or just listen to a shitload of hollow notes. Your choice, bud. I was having a terrible day and then I, you know, started getting in the groove for this podcast. Listen to this over and over again. I could not be in a happier mood. It, it works every time. This album keeps your head above the water. <laughs> Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, John. I owe everything. Last point before we go into the next song. The other thing that's interesting to me is that they're not 
necessarily making a very formulaic pop record as much as they're trying to catch lightning again by recreating the vibes from their previous hit they still take a lot of weird risks and interesting choices on here that keep paying off and one of my favorite tracks that has a good example of this is another one that jake is really into called tell me what you want i am so into this the intro on here, it's an it's an odd choice, but it works really well. And I'm also It's so cool. The the whole transition from a lo fi demo sounding intro into the full song, I feel like has also become a more common hip hop production trick. Yeah, man. I love it so much. I love it so There's much. There's a, a lot of nineties group like Fastball the Way, that big hit. Oh, they they yeah. did that in there where it starts out lo fi. It's I, it was something that I feel like they're they're ahead of the game here with uh this intro. Definitely. All right, let's listen to it. Side B, track two. song illustrates what i think you were kind of getting at sean but i viewed it a little differently of like the songs on this album will kind of wander into something kind of interesting and weird but then pull back into like something super hooky and it's impossible to not love and then once they kind of got you pulled back in they sort of like wander back out again yeah and then every time you play the song you like it a little bit more than the last time you heard it too 
It's so good. I love this song. It's almost like, I think the reason that I pushed you to put this song on the record, or on the, the podcast, rather, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> you weren't on this record. It was just, I, I mean, like, that chorus is like, it is, in so many ways, I feel like it was relevant and, like, very in vogue for 1981 but it also still like kind of pulls back that almost surfy like beach boys vibe yeah it, the melody and, the melody is is very beach boys yeah yeah and my god that opening guitar riff it's just in i mean it, it's super engaging you know? <laughs> it's almost like yeah. rush <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say it's kind of like what if van halen were just like more of a beach boy style i was band. about to say van halen yeah and you know I, I like head above water head above water is a good track but i don't know that it's as strong as i mean so you go mono a mono did it in a minute head above water both of them good but maybe not like outstanding and so like as you were kind of saying jeremy like Maybe if I was 20 years old in 1981, I'd be like, eh, he's starting to lose me a little bit. And then when Tell Me What You Want, like, kicks back in with that lo-fi, like, just sort of casual recording. We just hit record. Like, there's nothing actually happening. And there's that weird, like, sort of Daryl just singing into a microphone. And then, boom, that guitar riff kicks in. It's just like, yes, yes. I'm back. Yeah. You've you've brought my and, attention and then back. It, you're already back and then the fucking chorus comes in and it's just like, well, this is just like one of the best songs ever. Yeah, like yeah. I don't know what to fucking say anymore. <laughs> Holy shit, yes. Yes. Let's go. Calm down, potty mouths. Ah, fine. We just get excited about music. Nothing wrong with that. That's what this podcast is for, I thought. That's true. I do actually plan on sending this podcast to my mother, and I would like to note that at no point have I said the F word. So, Laura. <laughs> Yet. Laura, your, your boy is still pure. And if you need to shame someone, <laughs> send Sean an email. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Everyone is, is welcome to be disappointed in me. That's okay. I've never been disappointed in you. Same. Aww. Did you guys know that the Colin Oates emergency hotline is still active? Oh, God, I forgot about that. What? So there's been a Holland Oats emergency hotline running strong since 2011. If you call I've called it. 719-26-OATS, there are four tracks that you can listen to. And one of them, speaking of ways to hear the song Private Eyes, is by calling that phone number and then pressing the number four afterwards. And you can hear Private Eyes anytime, day or night, if you're in a real... Hollow notes emergency. So there you go. The the the, the, is, the issue that I raised. The issue. What? Yeah. No. This is totally legit. I've done it. And the issue that I raised at the beginning of us not playing private eyes on this episode. Call the number. Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> I did call it earlier today just to make sure that it is active before we hype it. And it's it's live, baby. It's ready to go. 10 years strong. Call it up. Call an Oates. You guys know who else is a really big fan of this record in particular? So much so that they got a tattoo of the album cover? No, but I'm sure you're going to tell us, Sean. I am going to tell you. It's Travis McCoy, the front man for Gym Class Heroes. I don't know what that is. Okay. <laughs> but 
it makes sense though. Like if you go go back to YouTube, look up the gym class heroes, and you'll be like, oh yeah, like this a, song, gym class heroes. Now everybody just go look up gym class heroes later, and you'll be like, oh shit, this does make sense that they listen to Hollow Notes. I'm just kidding. I know that that band is Foreigner, and I also know who gym class heroes are. <laughs> All right, real quick, let's talk about some of the other players on this record. You got some notable musicians here. On drums, you got Jerry Murata, who was in the band Orleans and also did a lot of work with Peter Gabriel around this time. On lead guitar, you got G.E. Smith laying down those hot licks that we just heard on Tell Me What You Want. Um, He's also notable for being a longtime member of the Saturday Night Live house band, and he also wrote the Wayne's World theme song. Yeah. He was the leader of the Saturday Night Live house band for like a decade. Oh, dang. Big dog. G.E. Smith. Yeah, I remember when he, when he left, my dad was like, oh, they got rid of that weird guy on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> we have a real studio musician legend on percussion. Jimmy Mylene. Mylene. Malin. He's such a legend, we don't know how to say his name. (laughs) Yeah, he's super legendary, but I forgot to look it up. He's on hundreds of recordings doing percussion with bands such as The Talking Heads, O'Donnell Levy, who's a legendary session guitarist himself. Uh, He also worked with John Lennon, Peter Gabriel, and he's the percussion player on another pop song that we've featured, What a Fool Believes, by the Doobie Brothers. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. How many do you know how many tracks he's on? Hundreds. No, no, no. <laughs> For on this record. Oh, on this record? It just listed him as percussion. So I don't know like if he's actually on every track or just a few. That was like a little bit hard for me to figure out with some of these guys. Uh, as I'm looking at it, there are a lot of people who have played drums on this record. So <laughs> Yeah, there's a ton of players. This is by no means a comprehensive list of the musicians. This is just like a few notable people. And uh the big one that struck me on synthesizer on this Larry record we have fast. none other than larry fast we did a whole episode on him synergy mm-hmm. very early mr synergy i definitely listened to that episode definitely um would y'all like to elaborate for those not familiar synergy is a really really cool tangerine dream-esque synthesizer project that is the uh, solo project of Larry Fast, who did the synthesizers on here. And we covered one of Synergy's records on one of our first episodes featuring another Kalamazoo resident, Katie May. Yeah. Tangerine Dream? I like that record. A lot. Yeah. Listen, good... to, listen to Synergy. Okay. Speaking of other bands that people should listen to, you guys want to hear some of the stuff I put on the uh, playlist for this week? Yeah. 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 No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I put a couple of songs that we've covered on the show before. You got some Cindy Lauper, you got some Huey Lewis in the news, you got some 10CC, Tony Basil, the Human League Synergy, as well as some artists that I'm sure we'll cover at some point. There's a Grace Jones track on there. There's a Boz Skaggs track on there. The Gap Band, Temptations, Shaka Khan, Ambrosia. Culture Club, Peter Gabriel, The Police, at Jake's suggestion. We saw Shaka Khan together. Put a little Kenny Loggins on there. You and I. Did yeah, we? we did. Yeah. Yeah. I think we embraced. Fork. It ruled. That was Their great. set was so good. It's very cool. 
<laughs> if you ever get a chance to see Shaka Khan live, it's very worth it. It's quite the joyful experience, I must say. So yeah, that's some of the playlist. Sean, Sean hugged me, and he doesn't hug very often. <laughs> that's weird. He hugs me all the time. God damn it. Ooh. From across the, feel... the country. <laughs> so anyway, if anybody wants to listen to that playlist, you can go on Spotify, search I'd Buy That Podcast, all one word to find this and every other season two playlist. Beautiful. If I may be allowed a caveat, I know that this is the most canceled of the police songs, but I can't hear mano a mano and also not think, don't stand, don't stand so close to me. Like, I, I think, you know, that song is in many ways, like, very much influenced by no matter how big of a my mom's going to listen to this butthole that um, <laughs> Sting may be. The, some of the like later police choruses are very much, I don't know, they just sound like choruses that come from this record. So, Yeah, the police are kind of like a poor man's hollow notes, really, if you think about it. Damn right. Darn right. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> well, I think that's that's just about everything for this episode anybody got some closing thoughts before we play our closing track i think you know you were you were talking about how hollow notes don't really get a lot of uh, respect i i think that was true for a long time you know in, in particular as far as like cool points go but i feel like that's changed a lot in the last decade i, I think it was about a decade ago that the bird and the bee did that hollow notes tribute album that was pretty popular. They, they covered yep. a bunch of hollow notes tunes. I feel like the, the, it has, it's things have flipped. Yeah. Well, the thing is they've always had a very dedicated fan base. That's never been the problem, but they just, they don't get the right kind of respect from rock critics specifically is the trend that I've noticed. And in fact, when I was like double checking to make sure that they were in fact, the most successful duo in us music history, I read through a quick, list that rolling stone had put out not that long ago of like top 20 greatest most iconic duos and hollow notes were not on the list <laughs> and then i was like i read down in the comments and literally like 90 percent of the comments were just why didn't you put hollow notes on this list they've sold more records than anyone else on this list what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> i think if a rock critic doesn't like you that's almost a badge of honor at this point like <laughs> you know Rock critics are universally, almost universally, not to alienate anyone that maybe is listening to this podcast because I love my friends, but uh, almost universally terrible people. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, Ian Cohen, that guy can <clears throat> frig himself. <laughs> <laughs> Trying real hard, Jake. We're almost through the episode. You're going to make it, bud. I love you, Mom. <laughs> my final thought is just pure shock that we made it through this whole episode without even using the words yacht rock let alone explaining the phenomena so thank god i think we just leave I it we... there though i mean if you want to hear our thoughts on yacht rock yacht rock just go back and listen to the bread episode oh. well and we've covered that and already. the doobie brothers one it came up on there too yeah it's true <laughs> we've done it twice we don't need to do it a third time i know i'm glad I didn't expect that. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Maybe maybe next episode we won't even have to even mention that we're not mentioning it. <laughs> I know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. My, my final thought is uh, please subscribe to the Patreon just so that um, Sean can bring me on as the, fir- the, the fourth person and he can pay me money to do it. So Ooh, um, the first host getting it for money me. out of this podcast <laughs> for just pennies a day. You could help Jake Watkins <laughs> guest host every episode from now on. Yeah. It's like adopting a panda, but instead it's me, a, a poor boy from Tennessee. <laughs> well, the, the guest plugged, the guest plugged the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can come back every week. <laughs> Patreon. Damn right. I will. <clears throat> Darn right. I will. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any, uh, do you have any plugs of your own though, before we uh, sign out? You got any band camp links that the people should be checking out or anything? I'm in a bunch of dumb bands. They all suck. One of them's called dead man's lifestyle. Uh, that I'm, one doesn't suck for the record. I haven't put out a record in about three years, but I'm going to do that pretty soon if uh, one Joshua Tabia uh, agrees to do so. I'm also in a dumb punk band here in Knoxville called uh, Tall Papa, and you can find that at... I, I, oh, hang on, one second. Tall Papa TN, I think, topbandcamp.com. Let's see if this works. <laughs> nope, it's just Tall Papa. <laughs> bandcamp.com and also um send me money i'm i'm sean's best friend and also very good friends with jeremy and peter too all true (laughs) that's those are my only pitches unless you (laughs) want to take a geography class at the university of tennessee which case i'll i will gladly teach you that because that's what i do (laughs) well good to know valuable information also hall and oats my final thought Hollow Notes rules. My final thought is simply there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. Just tell the world that you love Hollow Notes. We're going to close out with a song that Jake Watkins had said was just okay. I'm going to have to disagree. It's an exceptional song, Head Above Water. And we're also playing it because it features a sick synthesizer intro from our boy, Larry Fast. It is a great synthesizer intro. The rest is just okay. Well, people can make their own decisions. Thanks for listening. I've been Sean Hartman. I've been Peter Cook. I've been Jeremy Ruggles. My name is Jake, or Mark. <laughs>